Welcome to Opt In with April Jasper, relevant conversations about topics important to eye care providers today. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate being a part of your life and being invited into your day. It is such a joy to be able to help our colleagues to bring value to their patients and to help you strengthen and grow your business. Join us at optometricmanagementeducation.com where you can learn more about all of the other services we provide. We have a subscription service that you can be a part of where you can learn and teach your team from the courses that we've recorded on all of the topics that are relevant to your success. We also have consulting services. And right now, if you give us a call, schedule a call with me, I'll be happy to talk to you about what we can do to help you grow your business one-on-one. Today, I'm here at the Optometric Management Symposium with one of my good friends, Dr. Bill Steffen. So Bill, that that was the official fancy uh, hello, but here's the real one. (laughs) Bill and I went to school together and uh, a lot of people don't know that. We were in optometry school. And what I tell the story of is that I graduated third in the class and I studied my butt off. This guy graduated second in the class while he at the same time was home with five kids and I'm not sure he looked at a book ever. Is that possible, Bill? That's a myth. Oh, <laughs> that's the story we all tell, right, though. That's right. It really wasn't as hard for you as me. And, and I love that about you. You're brilliant and fun and Thank you. a good friend. Thank but you. But why don't you tell everybody the story you want them to know about uh, you? Well, I have been delightfully married for 42 years now with five grown children and 11 grandbabies. So oh, family man. man through and through. And Much like you, April, I am a lifelong learner. I love to learn. And currently, uh, three-quarters of the way through a master's degree in theology, I thought I'd get my science and math brain uh, a break uh, for a little while and try the other side of my head and do some philosophy. That's really cool. Well, what I want to talk about today, Bill has a successful practice he's going to tell us about in Tampa, Florida. Right. Officially Tampa, right? We're in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, Okay. Yes, we are. Uh, suburban, independent, single location, multiple doctor practice. Yep. Uh, we just do full eye care. We see young to old, little babies to uh, the very old. I saw a 10-day-old uh, this last week. It was great fun. I love babies, of course. Uh, a lot of fun. Hence and the 5 plus 11. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so uh, we just do a full range of eye care uh, from simple to specialty. So you opened, actually, no, I, I'm remembering the story now. We bought our practice, David and I, and I think it was almost the same exact time you bought your practice in Tampa. Was it 1998? Uh, 2002, so okay. not quite the same time. But what I remember about that is we had similar practices. Like You transformed this practice over time. Tell us a little bit about that. So we did buy an existing practice. We're the third doctor. I buy we, of course, I mean myself in the practice since uh, 1935. It was uh, founded in downtown Tampa. Wow. Uh, Dr. Porterfield ran that practice for about 30 years, and the, my predecessor, Dr. Weatherell, bought it from him after going through the GI Bill. He was a World War II uh, Marine veteran, oh, did some man. time in the Pacific, very tough, tough duty, wow. uh, and came back and became an eye doctor. And in 1969, he bought the practice and moved it into the suburban area away from downtown. And we picked it up in 1998, 30 years later. 
we celebrate our 25th anniversary next June. So I guess I have five more years before it's time for me to find somebody else to take over. Oh, my goodness. That seems to be the trend. But you also have to plan an anniversary party. That's going to be awesome. It should be a, a year-long celebration. So because I know Bill so well, I also know that somewhere along that journey, although I don't remember the exact date, you uh, started down this road of myopia management. And that was honestly before the days of it being all the talk and as, as big a deal as it is today. Tell us why. Well, let's start with how did you get started? And I want you to actually tell me the why as well. Well, that's the main reason I became an optometrist. I didn't go back to optometry school till I was 30. So it's really a second career for me. Uh, I'm hematropic. I don't need any eyewear. And my wife did not divulge to me until after the wedding that she was a minus 12. <laughs> and so uh, all of my babies were losing their vision by four and five. They were very young, myopic, wow. and getting very high myopic. Uh, and around 30, I decided this is wrong and unacceptable. I need to figure out what's going on with myopia. So yeah. part of my main reason for going back to optometry school was to learn and understand everything I could about myopia wow. with the goal of eliminating juvenile progressive myopia as a, as a concern for children. So you're right. We did back in the early 2000s really start uh, with myopia management, myopia control through orthokeratology. Okay. So tell me what the first year looked like. The first year was interesting. Back in the day, no one had heard of myopia management and orthokeratology. So when I would bring it up to patients, uh, they would look at me like I had two heads, basically. Yes. Uh, and if this is such an awesome thing and it's great for my child, I have two questions for you, Dr. Stefan. And they were always, one, why is it I've never heard of this before? Right. And two, uh, why is it that no one else in uh, the Bay Area or Florida does this? Yes, you would think <laughs> that being the first or one of the first is a really amazing thing. And it is, but your patients are definitely not sure. Right, because if this is good, again, why, why doesn't everybody do this? Right. So I always related it to being uh, like being a dentist in the 50s who first started putting metal wires and bands on teeth. Oh, what a novel idea. Right? Uh, wait, what are you doing? Why would you do that to children? Uh, and now it's a very commonplace thing. And I would tell my patients back then, one day, uh, myopia control, myopia management will be a commonly known thing. You'll know if my kid starts to get nearsighted, yeah. I'll have to get his treatment. Just like you know, if your kid's teeth get crooked, you'll need some braces. We are proud to be sponsored by MacuHealth, a triple carotenoid formula that is the only one with mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin. David and I have been using MacuHealth in our practice for several years. We love it because it's patented with micromycel technology. It's clinically proven to restore macular pigment and supported by level one scientific evidence. So we have confidence that it works. So the first year, was it uh, as much growth as you might have thought it would be? Did it turn into, you, you talked about it, maybe at first, the first few people didn't really get it, but overall it just went crazy. Yeah, that growth gets exponential. Of course, your presentation to patients gets better and more refined as you encounter those things. Um, back in the early 2000s, we didn't have a lot of research and, and science that says, hey, this right. is awesome, right? Because they were still doing those tests uh, and we were performing in clinic what they were trying to do in research uh, and finding that we are, results were very good. 
So you learn how to, to gain patient trust, right? And then that becomes very much a word of mouth model. Yep. Right? My kid sees and he doesn't wear glasses and he plays his sports and his quality of life is so much better. I can't tell all my friends. And so in the very beginning, it was all about us uh, presenting it to patients and then patients spreading the word for us. So what was your biggest challenge back then? And then tell us what it is today. Well, the biggest challenge back then was getting people to believe me that I was telling them the <laughs> truth that I wasn't just making up stuff about, you know, about this yes. magic treatment that I was going to charge them thousands of dollars for. Uh, so that was always the biggest challenge. Um, and there's still a lot of challenge in that, right? Because it's still yeah. new. So we're still just now we're reaching that critical mass of awareness, I think, right now, finally, with our profession, right. within doctors uh, and themselves. Uh, and I don't think we've yet met that critical mass in the, in the community. Parents still don't know about it. Oftentimes still, right. I'm the first person to ever mention that to them or bring that to their attention. I neglected to tell everyone, Bill, when we started this podcast, that you actually are doing very well with this. It's a big part of your clinic. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get back into the story again. So fast forward. It was a challenge then. We're going to talk about more of that process in a minute, but where is it today and has it been what you had dreamed of? Have you achieved the dream? Have we achieved the dream? The, <laughs> um, I will never achieve my dreams because the dreams always grow and change. I love right? that. So um, have I achieved the dream? Many times. So it just becomes a part of the practice. And I think that's really the key. If it's something that you're going to do and it's something that you understand and recognize and believe in, yep. uh, in my mind, giving a, 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 a second or third grader their second pair of myopic lenses that's a little stronger than the last without discussing myopia management or myopia control is akin to malpractice, right? There should be informed consent. Uh, I'm a yep. big fan of that and let the parents know what to do. So obviously the standard of care is to give a kid glasses. We've been doing it for a thousand right. years, right? right. You, you can't see, here's your glasses. Come back yeah. and see me when you can't see again, I'll give you your new glasses. But I think we need to start changing that narrative. Like I say, now that the profession is starting to catch on, I, there's not a journal or a magazine or a podcast that I don't go to and see that somebody's not speaking about myopia and myopia management. So. Yep. I think that's growing and changing quite a bit. Do patients ever say that? You said you think it's malpractice. I know what you mean. And honestly, I'm at that same stage myself. If I'm not telling parents that, I can tell you I've had parents come in and, and look at me and say, I don't understand why my child is 14 and a minus four and nobody's ever told me about this before. Yeah, so... Of course, I've heard that a couple of times, and I just let them know it's emerging technology. It's new things that uh, the the industry is just now getting the science behind. Yep. Uh, the doctors are just getting behind that, and where we can do is uh, no regrets, not look back. Let's move forward from this point forward. I agree. Uh, I think that's very important. I think 10 years from now, that'll be a much harder conversation to have yes. with a parent, right? right? Once it becomes more and more commonplace. Uh, and I think that we'll see some shifts in that industry. I think in the end, it's going to be kind of more like, again, dentistry and orthodontistry, right? Right. I don't think one doctor is going to do it all. I don't no. think you necessarily can. Just like now we have dry eye specialists, we have glaucoma right. specialists. We kind of niche that up a little bit. So what are the words you use? Because I know somebody that is listening to this saying, okay, I get it. I agree. 
but I'm really not sure even where to begin. So I want you to give us some ideas to where to begin. But then I know that what would be really helpful is to actually hear from you how you talk about it with parents. So start with where do they begin? If somebody's just doing general optometry, really has never started into this whole world of myopia management, what do they do first? All right, that's a big ask. I know. So let's break it down then. <laughs> Where do you start? The first thing, obviously, you have to educate yourself. Uh, okay. If you're going to do anything, right, you're not going to treat glaucoma without learning first all about glaucoma. You're not going to go in and do uh, a scleral lens fit, perhaps right. even, right, without learning, getting educated on that yourself so that as the doctor you feel comfortable moving forward. Yep. The second step then is to really train your staff. What are you doing? What's the purpose? If your staff doesn't understand, they're answering the phone, right? What's going on? Hey, I understand you guys do that orthokeratology. And the last thing you want your staff to have is, I don't know, let me check. Put you on hold and then come back. Oh, yes, we do. Really? Because <laughs> uh, if you do, it seems like <laughs> right. you would know that you do that, right? So uh, you have to really educate the staff so that you have that support and they understand the importance and the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. And then you really just have to dive in with, with, with both feet, right? We put uh, posters up in the office. It's something we discussed about um, with everyone to talk about what we're doing and, and how that works. So I think getting that staff buy-in and really yeah. making it a part of your clinical process is what's going to make you successful, right? Right. As we learned in the lectures today about dry, uh, it's hard to just dabble. Right. right? I'm not yes. going to get good results on a regular basis with all of my patients. If I take, you know, just yeah. a little bit every now and then I, yeah, let me throw a drop at you. Yep. Write the prescriptions, right. buy the technology you need to make it happen. Same idea here. Right. I think you have to really know what you need, learn, learn what you're doing. There's definitely a steep learning curve um, with things like the orthokeratology, for example. That's not something you're going to start out and be awesome with. So pick your cases carefully to begin with, right? Pick some, some slam dunks and minus two to minus fours, right? Nice spherical normal corneas and get in there yeah. and get a success, get some results that are good so that your patients and parents are happy uh, and your staff sees that it works. That's critically important. Right. Thank you to NeuroLens for being a sponsor of our podcast. We have really appreciated having the option of NeuroLens for our patients in our practice. At least two-thirds of people experience the symptoms of eye misalignment, and that number grows as we continue to shift to remote work and learning. The symptoms of headaches, eye strain, dry eyes, and neck pain, eye fatigue, even motion sickness can be extreme. Even small misalignments can cause painful symptoms, and even small prism correction can provide dramatic relief. And you alluded to it, and we won't talk numbers, but do you think it's important that you charge enough? Always for everything that you do. Yes. I'm a big fan of getting paid for my skills and knowledge and what it is that we do. Yes. And I, the reason I ask Bill that, I know it sounds weird, but the reason I ask you that is because in my experience, it has been so that sometimes if you feel like you're just learning, you can kind of tell yourself, oh, well, I'm not real good at this yet. Maybe I shouldn't be at the level of fees that somebody else is at where the problem with that is what? Well, you're never going to learn because you're not going to do it Yep. because you won't feel that it's worth it. Exactly. exactly You'll right. end up seeing those patients and going, wow, this isn't worth my money Right. because the learning curve is steep, as Bill said, and I, I agree, but hey, isn't everything a challenge at first? 
And I think it goes back to why are you doing this? So tell everybody again, in the end, why, why are you really involved in myopia management? Well, in the, really, in the end, I would like to stop juvenile progressive myopia, right? I just Absolutely. think to protect kids. I think we need to protect kids. We need to think about them. Um, yeah. If you get really harsh, you can always say, you know, if your child had diabetes uh, and your doctor said they need to give them the shot every day, you wouldn't yep. really care how much your child whined and cried about it. You'd do it, right? Yep. Uh, and it's one of those things that I think the next evolution is we stop looking at myopia as a refractive inconvenience and start recognizing it for the chronic medical condition that it is. Yep. I think once the profession makes that shift, then the treatment modalities and the learning uh, will follow. I love that. He answered my question. I was going to ask him, what is the future of myopia management? You just heard it. So Bill, I guess in closing, what words of wisdom would you give someone just getting started? So not necessarily how to get started, but I would say go something to help them. back to basic medical care and what I call uh -huh. informed consent. Every patient that you talk to, you need to talk to them about their options. So in our clinic, we're unique and half of our orthokeratology patients are adults because when they wow. come in and they want glasses, they want contacts. I don't care why they appointed. I want glasses or contacts when I'm yeah. done with their refraction. I tell them, you have a refractive error, you have some choices. You can wear glasses that you did come in and ask for today. We can also do contact lenses. There's also refractive surgeries, and now there's new technology we call overnight sight or orthokeratology. You can actually sleep in your contact lens, take it out, and see all day. So your choice then is, do you want to wear your medical prosthetic 14 to 16 hours a day, or would you rather sleep in it 6 to 8 hours a night and see? So if you do that yeah. to every patient, every grandmother, every, because grandmothers have grandbabies that are nearsighted, right? Yep. Moms and aunts and uncles have uh, nieces and nephews uh, that are young. If you just give that informed consent to every patient, then every patient knows what's out there and what's available and the word will spread. So uh, you just have to know, and I want the listeners to hear it too. It's stories like this, but Bill's story for me was inspirational. That whole getting started. I don't know if I would have ever gotten into this at that time just because of the fear of not being able to ever figure it out. What you did helped me tremendously and what you continue to do, but also getting to the understanding, like you said, that this is, this is something that's going to change people's lives. It could change the world of myopia, and we all just have to jump in. Thank right. you. Thank you, April. I love you. All right, see you. <laughs>